and welcome to Central Baptist Church this morning. Now, for those of you who don't recognize me, this is my first time visiting here, but preacher said you look like a song leader, so I'll put you up there in front. It's good to see each one of you, and I especially want to thank every one of you for all the nice, touching, get well cards that you sent me. Now, I'm going to attempt to lead us a little bit in singing, and you'll forgive me if I forget how to sing. It's been a while. Let's turn to number 57, if you will, number 57 in your songbooks. Everybody find a place and join in on At Calvary, number 57. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then I tremble at the law I'd spurn, till my guilty soul imploring turn. Mercy there was great and great was free, pardon them. There my burden sold and liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Mercy there was great and grace was free. There my burden soul found liberty at Calvary. All right, if you will, let's turn over to number uh, 127. Number 127. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies. And we'll sing the first and the last stanza. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesty above the fruited plain. America, God's grace on thee and crown thy good with brother to shining sea oh beautiful for patriot dream that sees beyond the years thine alabaster city's gleam crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shine. 
shining sea. Shake hands with someone around you there and tell them it's good to see you this morning. Well, good morning. It's good to welcome you to our Sunday school hour. Good to see each other this morning. I guess you're all, um, you have all your hot dogs and stuff like that ready for Tuesday, 4th of July. And um, we're looking forward to a good service here today. I, I like uh, patriotic services. Amen. I'm a patriot. I, um, I love America. I love our flag. For what it um, what it's always stood for. And what a great Bible school we had! Uh, thank the Lord it's over, but uh, but it was a real blessing. Forty five young people were saved in the uh, in the in the three nights, and we appreciate all those that helped out. Our our Bible school time really goes smoothly because we have. So many of you that are there to help out and help supervise and keep things going right. Also, teen camp coming up. That'll be our next big event, July 17th through the 21st. And the cost for camp this year is $210. Um, any of you that, that give toward that or are going to give toward it, we appreciate it. Our, um, many of our young people that uh, they, they come off of our bus routes and they're not, their families aren't able to pay for their way to go to camp. So we've always uh, raised money here from you, and and um, I know it's I know it's a blessing to you to be able to give to help some young person go to camp. You can either you can either pay. We have some people that pay for several, and um, uh, but anything that you can do towards would be appreciated. Just write on your envelope or on your check, whichever. Just write youth camp so that we'll know to uh, put that where it's supposed to be. 
All right, did anybody have a birthday this past week? We didn't have any 4th of July babies. <laughs> Are you a 4th of July baby? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. All right, how about anniversaries? Any anniversaries? Okay, Usher, would you come? Somehow my the bottom of my little bank here has got got a hole in it, the plug that was in it. I think somebody must have ate, eaten it. I can't find it anywhere. So but I guess as long as you don't put change in there, it'll hold it, hold the, the bill. So <clears throat> I, tell, I tell this often because um, a lot of times we have new people in the class and we, uh, the money that it's put in this bank here for your birthday or anniversary, uh, that all goes into missions. We give that to the missions account. <clears throat> so, so what you're doing, when, instead of us giving you a gift, you're giving a gift for missions. And um, I don't know how they figure these things, but uh, uh, Brother McMillan one time said that that uh, for every dollar that's given, that's a do that's a soul that gets saved. And um, if that's true, we've we've had a part in a lot of souls being saved over the years, haven't we? <clears throat> and we thank the Lord for that. All right, um, I I just recently was made aware of the fact that Nail O'Neill, uh, there is a couple of ladies that come from Haines City, and um, they always sit back back there toward the back. They don't they don't come to Sunday school just for the morning service, but uh, she has either been in the hospital or still in the hospital. I don't know. Would y'all, would you know anything about that, John? Wanda? Yeah, okay. So pray for her, Nell O'Neill. Also, Brother King, he's still dealing with the problems with his, with his uh, infection, his legs and feet. So uh, remember him in prayer. If you have an unspoken request this morning, raise your hand. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on these requests this morning. Brother Carnes, would you lead us in prayer?
Jeremy, come right on. I've been pastoring for a little over 50 years. I've never been able to sit with my wife in church, so I'm going to go sit with her for Sunday school this morning. All right, good morning. Welcome to Sunday school, and uh, we are still in Galatians chapter 3. We'll be, and actually, we will not finish it today. Um, what a blessing to see uh, Brother Rouse back up here. I praise the Lord for that. We've missed you so much. I'm praying for you. Um, all my pages are stuck together, so bear with me here. Uh, while we're, I'm going to be the last one there, it looks like, but while we're uh, making our way there, I, ha I do have something to read in the spirit of uh, Independence Day. So I, uh, our pastor has preached this before, um, but I thought it was worth, worth noting again, uh, when we celebrate Independence Day, uh, I, I believe this may not be an exact quote, but I believe a pastor said, if, if you enjoy the liberty and the freedom we have today, then think of Baptists. Think of Baptists. And I, I totally agree with that. And I wanted to just remind us of, of that, just put us in remembrance this morning of, of uh, our heritage as Baptists, uh, that we did not come out of the Reformation, that we trace, uh, we have, a, uh, you know, whether you, you think of it as a spiritual kinship or anything like that, it goes back to the, the first church in Jerusalem. Um, and, and so we can, we can, if you trace that all the way through history, early Baptists in America were persecuted for their beliefs. Uh, the different uh, towns and things in the colonies uh, were run by um, folks that believed in infant baptism, and they would come and uh, try to force folks to have their children baptized. And when they refused, they were banished, or they were beaten, or uh, you know, worse than that. Usually banishment was, was the sentence, and that was basically a death sentence um, because there was, it was just wilderness at the time. So we, as we come up to uh, the, the American Revolution, Baptists played a very important role there as well, and, and uh, our Declaration of Independence was actually influenced heavily uh, by early Baptists from the 1600s. Roger Williams was a Baptist at one time, and uh, he and John Clark, who was a, a, one of, a pastor of what is considered to be the first Baptist church in America, um, in Rhode Island. They set up Rhode Island. That colony was essentially a Baptist colony, and they exercised, uh, they had a, an understanding of liberty, and that's how they governed, uh, where people were not persecuted for, for their beliefs. Um, and this heavily influenced uh, Thomas Jefferson. A lot of folks think that John Locke is the one that influenced Thomas Jefferson with, to, with the uh, Declaration of Independence, and he did, but John Locke was heavily influenced by Roger Williams, and, and so here's something from Thomas Armitage, who was a Baptist historian in the 1800s. He says, um, the testimony concerning Jefferson's affection for Baptist polity, uh, Thomas, Armitage, Thomas Armitage writes this, there was a small Baptist church which held its monthly meetings for business at a short distance from Mr. Jefferson's house. Mr. Jefferson attended these meetings for several months in succession. The pastor on one occasion asked him how he was pleased with their church government. Mr. Jefferson replied that it struck him with great force and had interested him much that he considered it the only form of true democracy then existing in the world and had concluded that it would be the best plan of government for the American colonies. This was several years before the Declaration of Independence. And so I point you back to uh, Roger Williams, uh, 
back in, 16, in the 1600s, he wrote something called The Bloody Tenet of Persecution, and the title's longer than that, but that's kind of the, the snapshot of the title. Um, and this was, he was, he was trying to uh, secure more liberties and things for, uh, for Rhode Island specifically, that, that region there. And uh, he had been influenced by the letters written from an unknown Baptist that was imprisoned for his beliefs in uh, England and, and written some letters to the king that made their way out. That influenced Roger Williams' belief system. But I want, I'm going to read two things here. I'm going to read this uh, excerpt from The Bloody Tenet of Persecution, and then I'm going to read our Declaration of Independence and, and really pay attention to the similarities here. Uh, first, where this is from Roger Williams. First, whereas they say that the civil order may erect and establish what form of civil government may seem in wisdom most meet, I acknowledge the proposition to be most true both in itself and also considered with the end of it that a civil government is an ordinance of God to conserve the civil peace of people so far as concerns their bodies and goods, as formerly hath been said. But from the grant I infer, as before hath been touched, that the sovereign, original, and foundation of civil power lies in the people, whom they must needs mean by the civil power distinct from the government set up. And if so, that a people may erect and establish what form of government seems to them most meet for their civil condition, it is evident that such governments are by, are, as are by them erected and established have no more power, no, nor for no longer time, than the civil power or people consenting and agreeing shall betrust them with. This is clear not only in reason, but in the experience of all commonwealths where the people are not deprived of their natural freedom by the power of tyrants. So think of that, and here's the Declaration of Independence, which has, was heavily influenced by those thoughts, that thinking, which is Baptist thinking. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So I'm proud to be a Baptist because Baptists, being a Baptist ties heavily into being an American and being a patriot and the understanding of liberty and uh, self-governing and, and uh, that, that God is our king and our creator and he's our ultimate authority. Um, that, that's, that's our history is heavily intertwined with the, the history of America, with the Declaration of Independence and with the Constitution. And I'm, I'm very thankful for a pastor that he's one of the only pastors I've ever had, if not the only, that I can remember that, that has preached from this pulpit Baptist history. And it's important that we remember that and not let that go by the wayside, especially on the 4th of July. So, all right, so let's uh, dive in here to Galatians. Um, I'll, I'll do just another brief introduction to get us up to speed. Um, the, the churches in Galatia, they, they had been um, moved into a false gospel uh, that was um, faith plus works uh, to, to secure their justification. And uh, the Apostle Paul is, has kind of laid some groundwork. He's, he's moved uh, in, in, in chapters 1 and 2 and in, in chapter 3 here. He starts drilling down a little more, as we said. He's starting to draw, uh, to kind of divide things out, and he's starting to get down further and further into uh, right where he's going to he's going to start dealing with 
the, in, the individuals and their relationships and things like that with, well, really with each other, with, with the Lord, and, and we'll see that as we go. But uh, verses, uh, we talked last week some about uh, the, the promise and the law and how they, were, how they related to one another, and then uh, in verses 19 through 29, and we're, we're going to be in uh, 23 through 27 here, um, which gives the, the kind of the purpose of the law, and we're going to talk about our relationship uh, with the law as, as individuals as well. So let me read uh, verses 23 through 27 in Galatians chapter 3. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of, of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, once again for this day, for your many blessings upon us. We ask now that you'd help us to understand your word. Uh, Lord, uh, help me to have clarity of thought and, uh, and voice and uh, to, uh, to, to keep the, the focus and direction upon your precious son, upon your word, and that you might be honored and glorified, Lord. And we, we love you and we praise you and thank you for everything you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Um, we see here in, in verse 23, it says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. Um, before faith came is not talking about uh, the, the promise that we discussed last week, but the, this, the promise that they had in the Old Testament of a coming Messiah, but it's talking about the faith in the fulfillment of that promise, which is Jesus Christ, of course. And uh, being kept under the law, is, it, it's really, if you study that out, it's to be, to be guarded by a sentinel or a garrison uh, being, being kept in. And, and the law did a couple of things, and it gave Israel a way externally to show that they were s distinct and separate from the heathen nations around them. Uh, and it also presented God's standard of absolute holiness. God's requirement is 100% uh, to, to be holy, which, of course, we can't do. So, so the law showed where the lines were drawn externally, but also... It gives an impossible standard for man to, to be reconciled to God, apart from God initiating some other way. Um, and uh, so Adam and Eve, this is a good example. Adam and Eve, they were removed from the garden because of sin. So God had to kill animals, of course, to, and, and that, that's where we understand that our sin results in death. Something had to die to cover their sin, and, and blood had to be shed. So God, uh, after he does this, he... he, he he um, gave his judgments upon them and upon Satan, and he, he gave the order of evicting them from the garden and his physical presence. In Genesis 3, 22 and 23, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he, he gives that decree and command. To, he's sending them forth. You're done. You're out of the garden. You can no longer be in our presence here um, because of your sin, because this is a holy place. We, we, God cannot have sin in his presence because of his holiness, um, but they didn't want to go. Uh, so God, uh, in Genesis 3:24, it says, so he drove out the man. So he gave the decree, and man, Adam and Eve, didn't want to leave. They, 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 they didn't want to be out of the presence of God. They, they, even though they had sinned, they didn't have a full understanding of what that meant for them, obviously. 
and, and maybe they didn't take God seriously. You see, they, they were close to God at one time, and they understood his goodness and grace, so certainly he's not going to do that to us. Certainly he's not going to send us out into this wilderness. Certainly he didn't really mean what he said, but unfortunately, uh, when you sin, the, the penalty is always 100% of the time death, and that's what they realized uh, the hard way, and he, they had to be driven out. It said so, uh, Genesis 3.24 again, so he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so now we can see in this kind of a, a, a foreshadowing of what the law was, was kind of doing in a sense that it's given that standard, it's drawing the line. That's the, the flaming sword that's keeping us, that's standing between us and God because we can never get past the law. We can never fulfill the law uh, to, to approach God's presence or to be accepted. Um, so immediately after sin came into the world, man desperately tries to return to God, but he couldn't meet the standard. So that, that's, this, this law is like a garrison or a sentry, and that, that's what our verse is talking about. It's, it's guarding, it's, it's, it's setting that divide between man and God. Uh, it's an impassable obstacle to approach to God in his infinite holiness. So it says we're, we're shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. And to be shut up here is the, talking about like be, being a prisoner, you're locked up. You're locked down. Uh, before Christ came, uh, the law bound them to strict obedience in anticipation of the one who would fulfill the law. Uh, they were made to realize that law could, that the law could never save. And Israel had proven that throughout history. They had times where they were very obedient and God would bless them, but ultimately they would always fall away. They would always uh, falter. They would always put somebody in place that would, would fail them, that would uh, lead them into idolatry. Uh, idolatry. And, and wickedness. And uh, they, they demonstrated that it's impossible for mankind to achieve God's standard. So, so for hundreds of years, the law had kept men in bondage in this way, as prisoners uh, shut up unto the faith that we should afterward come. So to serve God, the laws and ceremonies and sacrifices uh, had to be kept. That's the, only, that's the only way you could serve God or please God. And this, this all reminded them constantly of how short they came to the glory of God. They were, the, these things were not... Um, something that was uh that that they that they could rejoice in necessarily it was they, they were burdensome and they they were made to understand that these are the things that god requires to be his people to be with to to follow him to serve him properly and it was very burdensome for them so uh now 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 that we understand this that uh the faith of christ now is uncovered that's that that faith that has come is the that christ came and died for our sins on the cross and he fulfilled the law so that we wouldn't have to continually be under the burden of the law in that way and, and be prisoners to that system. So uh, in verse Galatians in our, in our chapter here, verses uh, 24 and 25, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The schoolmaster here is, is not like a teacher. It's actually... Uh, talking about a servant whose job it was to bring the children to school. And, and if, the, if the servant or schoolmaster, was, he, he would be authorized by the parents to whip the child, to, to punish the child corporally or otherwise, if the child wasn't learning properly, if he wasn't doing a good job. The, the law's discipline and punishment was guaranteed. It, it was a system of punishment for disobedience. So before we were saved, we were being whipped and beat by the schoolmaster because we could never fulfill the law. For example, if someone was here today and you're not saved, and I'm going to read through uh, the, the Ten Commandments here, uh, Lord willing, and, and uh, that if you're not saved, these things should be 
whipping your conscience. They should be uh, affecting you greatly because if you, you've broken one of them, if not multiple, and they should cause you great uh, distress and conviction, understanding that the penalty for breaking even one of those is death. So he says, uh, the, 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 before we were saved, we were under the law. Uh, spiritual and physical discipline. Uh, think about uh, Psalm 32, uh, where David's talking about sin and confessing sin, and, and he says that uh, when, when he kept silence, his bones waxed old. Sin, sin can have a, an internal effect. Uh, it can affect your conscience, of course, as we discussed a little bit last week, but sin also can affect you physically. Unconfessed sin can, can cause, even it says in the Bible, that your bones will wax old. It can manifest itself in your, in your flesh, physically. It says that, that we might be justified by faith. So, so the law brought the understanding of the need for justification, and we understand now that that, that can only be secured by faith in Christ. And, and so that when Christ fulfilled the law by living a sinless life, so he was crucified, he was raised from the dead as validation of him, as validation that he was the spotless lamb of God. He, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was approved and accepted by God. He was raised for our justification in that way. So uh, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, but we're children of God. And Jesus has removed the sting of death and the strength of sin. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the, the strength of sin is the law. So moving on to uh, Galatians uh, 3, 26 and 27. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So believers then are no longer bound to the obedience of the law in the same fashion. We're dead to sin now, and we're born again. So we're made new. Uh, we now serve in newness of spirit, Romans uh, chapter 7. And if you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7, uh, we'll be there uh, for a couple minutes. Um, Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. When we were in the flesh... The motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So we, we walk in newness of spirit. Now we walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This demonstrates the, the purpose and significance of baptism in, in this picture of being dead to sin, buried, and raised up to walk in newness of life. Uh, it identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That, all the language here is figurative. So we're, we're shut up or in prison. We, we're under a schoolmaster. Um, the whole context of, of the epistle is salvation by faith apart from any ordinance or law. And, and if we're talking about baptism as a figure, then what, what's being described in this text is all figurative. So as we're dead in sin, law-breaking, we're born again, we walk in newness of life. Uh, so baptism is, is, is demonstrated here. It cannot be a means of salvation. Uh, everything is, is figurative. Everything is um, a picture or figure of, of things that have happened spiritually. It's, it's identifying the believer with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And we understand that as, as Baptists. That's what we believe about baptism. So our, our relationship to the law, and we're in Romans chapter 7. Uh, do, do, with all this being said, up to this point, uh, you could, you could uh, 
gather kind of a negative interpretation or a negative understanding of the law. It's, it's co- being called death, and, and, it, and it exposes our sin, and it's separating us from God. It's a guard. It's a, it's a schoolmaster. It's all these things. But, but if you look throughout the Bible, and even in the Old Testament where they were uh, under the law, where the law was, was daily life for them, we, we see many places. Not, uh, uh, Psalm 94, 12, it says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Uh, Psalm, all through Psalm 119, uh, number, verse 1, Aleph, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. 97, um, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Uh, 165, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Uh, 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. It says, thy, thy law do I love so many times. Uh, in verse 92 of Psalm 119, uh, unless thy law had been my delights, I should have been, perished in mine affliction. Uh, 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. It goes on and on. Uh, in Proverbs, he, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Uh, Psalm 20, or Proverbs 29 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So how can that be? How, how, how can, on the one hand, it be, it be death and sin and, and, and hardship and all these things? Uh, it's described as a garrison, a prison, a schoolmaster, someone that would whip a child when they don't do right in school, don't do a good job in school. And, and maybe when you talk about the law, we, we could even think about the Pharisees and how uh, they interpreted the law and how they, they perverted things uh, and, and as far as keeping the law as a means of justification, and this is what's crept into the church uh, in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, um, they, they were experiencing this firsthand that they're, they've been convinced by false teachers that they needed works of the law to complete their salvation. And this was a false gospel. It's not, that's not good news at all. Once, once you're born again, uh, you, you, you should not be going back to, to, to complete salvation as, a, as some kind of form of a, uh, of works or of, of circumcision of baptism of anything like that it, it shouldn't be like that i i read an article uh of a man that was released from prison uh i think it was up in washington somewhere in 2012 he was released 76 days early and he found out three years later that that was a mistake and they came back and arrested him and took him back to to jail to serve out his 76 days you see if, if that's the if that's what salvation has become if if you've got a if, you're, if you get released from sin, if you're unshackled from uh, sin and death and hell, and, and, you, and, and then you're called to come back into that, that's exactly what's happening here in the church in Galatia. They're being put back under bondage. They're saying, no, 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 you didn't serve your term. Your, your salvation's not complete. You need to be uh, rearrested and brought back into this system in order to complete this term and, and satisfy justification. And that's incorrect. That's false. But, but we all see through the Bible, overwhelmingly, there's a different perspective of law from the believers as we read all through the Psalms and, and in other places as well. David loved the law. Uh, godly people loved the law all through the Bible. And so in Romans chapter 7, we see that the law has, has, is good in, in, in more than just one sense. It has a practical purpose. Uh, as we're in Romans 7, uh, verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except for the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. The question is, uh, what's our perspective? Uh, is the law itself bad because we can't keep it? 
Absolutely not. He says, God forbid. If, if people live by the Ten Commandments, then their lives would be much easier. Even unsaved people, our, our entire society, we talked about the, the Baptist influence on society and that, um, you know, the, it used to be most courtrooms had the Ten Commandments posted outside and, and, and it's understood worldwide that if people would live by the Ten Commandments, whether they're believers or unbelievers, that their lives would be better, even if it's just morals. And there's someone trying to get in the door back there. Even if it's just a moral thing, even if it's, even if it's just uh, in the flesh, if you're trying to do right, if you, if you don't covet, if you don't steal, if you honor your mother and father, if you don't murder people, you end up with a pretty good society. I think that the law has worked out pretty well just from a practical standpoint. God didn't give these just because. They, they're actually things that will help a society function and people be able to walk down the street without being in fear for their lives. So the... the, the the uh, one reason that we're blessed is because of this, as I said, Deuteronomy 5, 7. All right, here we go. I'm going to read through uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm not going to tell you all the verses. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, nor that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord God, thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So the law of God is practical, and it blesses even unbelievers who use it as a template for living life. And in and, and 1 John 5, 3, God tells us that his commandments are not grievous. So in, back in, in Romans chapter 7 here, verses 12 and 13, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. How can something good be the worst thing, which is death? How can it, how can it be good but also be death? And, and here's, here's part of the answer, that the aim of the law is the heart. And, and we see this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus gives the Beatitudes and then he goes into talking about really exposing how the law has been perverted and corrupted and how God has an expectation of the internal obedience and not just the external. So if you, if you, you they say that thou shalt not kill, uh, if any man kills, then you'll be judged for this. Is what, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but then... He says, but, but Jesus tells them that if you've even hated your brother in your heart, if you've, had, if you've had wicked thoughts toward another, that you're guilty of the same thing. That's God's standard. That's where, that's, it's aimed at the heart. The, the, the law for Christian people is aimed at the heart. The law for the lost is aimed at the heart. It's help, to help you understand your need for God, to help you understand the depravity of your flesh. Romans seven fourteen, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. It's spiritual. Is after the heart. Uh, down in 22 through 25, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And listen here, so then with the mind, 
I myself serve the law of God, the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin, the law of sin, the law of God, and the law of sin. So there's two perspectives, law of God versus the law of sin. And God doesn't haphazardly give lists in the Bible. If you see, I love lists in the Bible because they're, easy they're easier to memorize, but also there's a per, it's, it's a good study. If you find a list in the Bible, study out why these words, why God gave this in this order. Why are they in this order? God doesn't do anything by accident. Uh, we can see this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is kind of an easy one, verse 28, because he says first. But it says, and God set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And so we can gather, this is very simple, this is a simple example, but we understand that, uh, that, that, that uh, apostles were first and they're gone now, and prophets were second, so someone that is a fourth teller now, would, that would be the, the, the number one gift. And then tongues, which also don't exist, but there's people that believe that, and they, they totally ignore the order, and they emphasize tongues. That's, that's, they start and end their service with tongues. The tongues is the most important thing to them, and it's clearly the last thing on the list here. And, and so God has a purpose for these lists. Galatians chapter 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit. It starts with love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So we, we know from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that faith, hope, charity, abide, but the greatest of these is charity. That's sacrificial giving love. It's really the same word. So the, the chiefest thing, the greatest thing is charity, and the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, charity. So we can understand God had a purpose for putting that as number one. There, God has a purpose for these. So there's just two examples uh, of God putting things in a certain order. And the Ten Commandments is no different. The Ten Commandments has a specific order. And we'll talk about that here quickly. It, it can be looked at in two ways. You can start from the first commandment and go to the tenth, or you can start from the tenth commandment and go back to the first. Now, before we're saved, we always start with the tenth one. We always, because every sin, and I'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, flip over to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 quickly. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So when we walk after the flesh, we serve the law of sin. When we walk after the Spirit, we serve the law of God. And how do we determine which law we're serving? And it tells us in the text, Romans 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. And remember again, in uh, Romans 7, 25, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So the answer is that the things we mind, well, the things you mind are the things you're inclined to or the things you think about. Uh, so the, the, the thought life is where much of this spiritual battle is fought. Um, how do we mind spiritual things? Uh, the context here between 7 and 8 ties into these two aspects or perspectives of the law. Um, so Romans seven fourteen says, for the, we know that the law is spiritual. So to think on the law would be to think on spiritual things. Um, so to be after the spirit is to mind or think about uh, the things of the spirit. The law is spiritual. So the basic answer is that our mind should be open upon, uh, should, our mind should be upon the law of God, which starts with this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
And we see that when Jesus elevates that and he, he explains that, expounds upon that first law, he sums it up in Mark 12, 12, 30, and it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's how you have no other gods before him. He wants your love. He wants your affection. He wants your service. If, if we approach the law from this perspective, then the law is not grievous. We can delight in it. We, loving God above everything else makes the rest of the law fall right into place. It no longer becomes death to us, but it's happiness and joy. Now, I, I, I preach this all the time in the jail, that if you love God first, if you put him before everything else, if you do what he asks you to do out of love and devotion to him, then you're going to love your wife the right way. You're going to love your kids the right way. You're, you're going to do the right things at your job. If you're working at your job in order because you love God and you want to serve him, then you're going to be the right kind of employee. You're going to do the right things in your local church. You're going to be in church because you love God, and this is where we're supposed to be. That, that's, that's putting God first. That's starting with the first commandment. That's how, what our perspective should be. But in a more broad sense, the whole Bible is God's way of life for man. So scripture itself is spiritual, really. So to be spiritually minded, we have to be scripturally minded. We, we want to know what God says because uh, we have the right perspective and approach to the law. We're not... We, we, don't, we start with not putting anything before God. So that means filling our minds with the things of God, thinking on and meditating on the things of God. So, so the other side of this quickly is, is the law of sin. And, and this is where we often find ourselves, even as believers. So once you get saved, you still have the flesh. And that's what Paul is describing here, is that he, he's, he's battling between these two, between this law of God and he's looking the right perspective, but then, then he starts... The, the law gets flipped around and he starts looking at things a little bit backwards in his flesh. And, and uh, to mind the things of the flesh is to serve the law of sin. And why is this? Uh, Rome, we're in Romans 8, look at verse 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, and here it is, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So when we're spiritually minded, we're subject to the law of God, and that's good and right. But the carnal mind is actively at war against God. That's what enmity means. It's, act, it's not just being an enemy. It's that you're against God. You've set yourself against God. But <clears throat> So when we're in the flesh, we cannot serve God. The, the law becomes sin to us, and it's burdensome, and it's a weight, and it, and it manifests itself, as we said, spiritually and physically and every other way. So this is the opposite approach to the law. We're starting with uh, Deuteronomy 5.21, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, his ass, his donkey, excuse me, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So we begin with the 10th commandment. Sin starts with pride. That's where, that's where all sin begins. And, and covetousness and lust goes hand in hand with pride. Uh, James 1.14.15 teaches this, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's his own. That's pride. And in his lust, he's enticed. And when his lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Notice this is our own lust again. That's pride. Uh, conceived here means to seize, arrest, uh, or to capture. And that's what lust does. Our, our thoughts become lustful, and that draws us in. Then we're seized or arrested by sin, and now the law has become sin, and sin brings forth death. So it's all about our perspective. When we approach the law properly, we're spiritually minded. So to be spiritually minded, we have to fill our mind with spiritual things. We have to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, and soul, and spirit. We have to put him first. We have to fill our minds 
with, and memorize scripture. We have to meditate on scripture. We need to be in our Bibles every day. This is how you become spiritually minded. This is how you uh, approach the law from the right perspective so that you can rejoice in it, so that it can become a blessing to you, so that you, you do it out of love for God. These other commandments fall right into place. If you, if you have God first, then it's not going to be a problem. You're not going to have problems with number 10 if you got number one right. Does that make sense? So uh, if people are looking at it from the other way, your flesh starts to turn things around and it starts to covet. It starts to get prideful and you start to think, oh, I wish things could be different this way. Or, you know, these foolish imaginations that we come up with where our perspective changes and we start to be uh, put ourselves in a different position, uh, thinking that we can make things better for ourselves by going our own way or doing what we're supposed to do and we're not seeking God. We don't have scriptural thinking. Your mind is not after the things of the spirit. It's after things of the flesh. And we understand that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We want to be spiritually minded because it's life and peace. If, if you're not having peace in your heart, if you're not having peace in life, as a, either you're not saved and, and you just can't get that thing turned around, you have never had a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where you uh, believed, called upon him and believed in him as, as the resurrected Lord, that, that he has died for your sins, that he's paid the penalty on the cross at Calvary for you, that he was raised for your justification, that all you have to do is uh, place your faith and trust in him, and there's nothing else that you need to do for that. If, if, if you've never had that, then you're not going to ever be able to have the right perspective of the law. You see, even in society, uh, societies in our time uh, that, that has followed the law, that we had a moral society at one time, but not everybody was a believer because not everybody can, can follow that first table of the law. That's, that's, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Those spiritual commandments cannot be followed if you're not a Christian. And so the way to do that is to get saved and be born again. All right, thank you for your good attention. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings once again. We ask now that you would bless the service to come. Uh, we ask that our hearts and minds would be open and that you'd help our pastor, Lord, to, to preach with power and authority and boldness in the spirit. And uh, Lord, we ask that if anyone here is not saved, that they come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We thank you and praise you for everything you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.